All right, so today's our last message uh, in a long series uh, that we've called Chosen. Uh, God chooses people to do extraordinary things. He chooses ordinary people. He chooses broken people. He chooses sinful people. He chooses people that are in complete opposition with him, like, like Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And if he can choose all of these Bible characters, despite their flaws and their poor choices and their bad histories and reputations, then he can choose every one of us today. We should feel encouraged by the fact that our God, the creator of the universe, infinite, no beginning, no end, who created this world out of nothing, is intimately connected to each one of us and loves us so much that if we were the only person on the face of the planet, he would have sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, that one day you could stand before him as if you had never sinned. That's an incredible love. That's what it means to be chosen. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, all of us have the opportunity to accept that free gift. There is no one outside of the reaches of God's grace. That gift is for everyone, men, women, old, young, rich, poor, every nationality on the face of the planet. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all kinds of people, every kind of person, every ethnos, every nationality. And that we are to make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those are our marching orders. Why? Because God has chosen everyone to be a part of his kingdom. And today's story is about the lady who's been named the woman at the well, John chapter 4. God writes a new story for the dysfunctional. She didn't know it, but she had an appointment with God that day. She was just going to get water at around 6 p.m. Roman time, uh, just, just as she did every day. It was a mundane task. She had her water pot, and she was headed off uh, to Jacob's well to get her water. If dysfunction means not functioning properly, then a broken person desperately needs a repair. They need a new story. They need to get stopped in their tracks, and they need to experience the transformation of Jesus Christ. He, she needed to identify her, her dysfunction and to give it over to Christ and to allow him to write this new story. The woman at Jacob's well had a not-so-chance encounter with Jesus, and it changed her life. And we're about to see a progression of her understanding of who Jesus is and who he would be in her life. Never ignore an encounter with Jesus. Let me repeat that. Never ignore an encounter with Jesus. He still has a way of showing up in the midst of our routines and tries to get our attention. I, I erased that and then I rewrote it because I thought, well, he doesn't show up because he's always there. But he shows up in our minds in the sense that we become aware of his presence. Maybe it's a Christian song that you hear on the radio, and it impacts you in such a way that maybe it brings you to tears, or suddenly it gives you peace where you've, you've been in agony and anxiety struggling over something, and you realize, God's got my attention here. God is speaking to me. I'm having an encounter with him. Or maybe it's a, a sermon that you listen to, a podcast that you subscribe to. Maybe it's a scripture that someone posts on Facebook that suddenly interrupts your day in a good way and it speaks to you because it's like it was written for you. You maybe have read it a hundred times, but this might as well have been the first time you had ever read it because it, it reaches you afresh. And God gets your attention. Um, and when he does, it's up to you to choose 
whether or not you will go deeper in your relationship with him, whether or not it'll be a turning point for you, whether or not uh, you will become someone with a new, fresh story. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story. Our stories change for the better when we get to know Jesus and his story. You're going to see that. If you'll pay attention to the text today, you're going to see that it happens when we get to know Jesus. Not know about him, not be aware of him, but when we get to intimately know him, then things begin to change. I said we'd see the progression of this uh, lady at the Wells experience. Uh, the first thing she notices about Jesus is that he is a Jewish man. Acceptance replaces feelings of inferiority. Look at John 4, verses 9 through 10. It says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Some of John the Baptist's uh, disciples were starting to baptize uh, a lot of people. And then Jesus comes along with his disciples. Remember, John the Baptist was just preparing a way for Jesus. And as he's coming along, his disciples are baptizing more people into Christ and making more disciples. And even though Jesus would never have wanted this, and John the Baptist obviously had stated that he was just a follower of Christ, not worthy to untie his, his sandals, the people began to kind of feel a little competition going along. And there was some kind of heated jealousy starting to happen, so much so that the Pharisees began to take notice of it. And it was necessary for Jesus to move out of the area of Judea and to make his way um, to Galilee. And as he headed to Galilee, a three-day journey, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, Jewish people and Samaritan people... <laughs> did not associate with one another at all. Jewish people even referred to the Samaritans as dogs. What had happened was about 725 years or so before Christ, uh, the Assyrians had conquered the northern kingdom and it exported half of the population to another country and imported Gentiles. The Jews who also remained in the northern kingdom intermarried with the Gentiles, and they began to have children uh, with each other. And once the Jews had returned to the Holy Lands, the pure Jews would not have anything to do with the Jewish Gentiles known as Samaritans. They despised them. They were prejudiced toward them. They felt like they had a religious stand in order to do so because these, these Samaritans could not trace back their genealogies which was hugely important in this time period. Remember the Gospel of Matthew in talking about the Christmas story starts off with 28, two sets of 14 uh, generations leading up to the birth of Christ. This was hugely important. And so the Samaritans were considered just, you know, I could say a number of names that wouldn't be appropriate, but that's what they were calling uh, them because they just looked down on them so badly. 
Jesus had no prejudices at all, and since he didn't, neither can we. That's not an option. In fact, not only do we have this real encounter of Jesus with a Samaritan woman, but he also, remember, chose to make a Samaritan the hero of his parable that he told in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? He tells a story about a man who is robbed by bandits and beaten half to death, and two religious uh, leaders, Jewish people, kind of pass by on either side, too busy doing their own thing to stop and help him. But it's a Samaritan, remember, the good Samaritan who stops and picks up this wounded person and not only tends to his first aid needs, but takes him to an inn and tells the innkeeper, here's a blank check. Put it on my tab. When I pass back through here, if this isn't enough to cover it, then I'll make up the difference. I want to pay for everything. And Jesus says, who was a good neighbor to this man? Well, obviously the Samaritan. Tell me those words didn't sting. The story is an encouragement to anyone who feels like you are not accepted or that you don't fit in because you look different or you talk different than the average person. This story is an encouragement to those who feel like they don't fit in because of their past or maybe even because of their present. People will say, I'd come to your church, but if I did, the roof would, call, would cave in. I'm like, oh, that's what we're for. We're a group of imperfect people who knows we're imperfect. This isn't a haven for the perfect. It's a hospital for the broken. Jesus did not come to call righteous people, but to call sinners to repentance. He said it's not the the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. And Jesus has always been about going to people like this woman at the well. The Samaritan woman had headed up to do a mundane task in the first uh, Uh, eight verses there of of the chapter that we didn't read. She's coming down a path, and she's coming to Jacob's well. Now, Jacob um, of old had purchased uh, this plot of ground and had built a well on it, and it was a good well. Fresh, clean water could constantly be counted on to come out of this well. And, and so it was considered a very valuable resource, but it was also something that they were proud of because not every town had a Jacob's well. And this was a place to come. You know, Jacob was considered so great because he made the provisions, bought the land, had the well dug, and it had fresh water. We kind of take that for granted today because we throw on the water uh, spigot at home or the faucet. And fresh, clean drinking water flows out of it. And we don't ever have to worry about that. But in this time period, this was a big, a big deal. And Jesus comes along and he claims to be able to give her living water. As this Samaritan woman's coming down the path to the well. Maybe she's humming, maybe she's whistling, I don't know. She, she could mindlessly walk there. She could probably get there with her eyes closed. She'd come so many times. She's got her clay pot with her. And as she's approaching the well, her worst nightmare, there is someone at the well, a man, awkward enough, a woman and a man alone at a well, but a Jewish man. <laughs> and she probably thought to herself, I'm going to quickly walk over and I'm going to get my water. I won't make eye contact with him and I'll just be on my way and everything will be hunky-dory here kind of thing. Well, Jesus not only makes eye contact with her, but he, he strikes up a conversation and asks her for a drink of water. She's totally caught off guard by Jesus' willingness to speak to her. And there's this blend in Jesus between his physical needs, earthly, and his spiritual, supernatural abilities. 
This is God in the flesh who's about to tell her things about her life that no stranger from out of town could possibly know about her unless he is a prophet from God. And yet at the same time, it tells us in the text before we get to this part that we're talking about now that Jesus was weary from a long journey. He'd been walking down dusty roads for three hours in the heat of the day from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. And he stops at this well and he stops because he is thirsty. And you might be tempted to call that a chance encounter. But it was common practice for a lady to go to a well at 6 o'clock in the evening and get her evening water. And she says she's shocked that he being a man, a Jewish man, would ask her for the, the living water. Let's look at the, uh, oh, and then, then he goes on and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would ask me for living water. There it is. She was focusing on the temporary earthly need, water. But Jesus was wanting to take her to an eternal spiritual need. As we approach the Christmas season, we are reminded that Jesus is the gift of God to us. He is the forgiver of sins and the savior of our souls. He's also the healer of our brokenness of the here and now. And he writes a new story in our life for the dysfunctional. And he kind of blends in the supernatural and the physical because he's both. But the key is to know him. He said, if you knew the gift of God, he's referring to himself. If you knew the gift of God, and that's who I am, you'd be asking me for something greater than drinking water. He was a Jewish man, and his acceptance replaced, no doubt, feelings of inferiority that she must have been having because this lady had a really broken reputation. The second thing that she notices about him is that he is, in her words, one greater than Jacob, the one who gave the well. Eternal refreshment replaces temporary sustenance. Look at John chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. This is what it says. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As I said, Jesus had arrived at, at 6 p.m. Roman time after a long day of traveling. And his, in his physical human body, he was naturally parched. Um, we have access to the Son of God. And this lady was having her moment with With fame. <laughs> With the king of all creation, she didn't know it yet, but you talk about an opportunity, and it would land her a place in the gospel of John, and we'd be able to celebrate that today. We have nonstop opportunities to approach God 24-7, but I wonder, do we really know the gift of God? Do you really know Jesus? Are you able to pick up a conversation with him as if, as if you've already got him on the line, so to speak, and you don't have to dial him up because he's, he's always listening and you're so in tune and you're praying without ceasing? Are we only asking him for our daily water? 
the healing of our broken bodies and our physical needs while ignoring the living water with which he is ready to refresh us. Your prayer list will tell you a lot in answer to that question about your focus. Oh, there's no, no prayer need so small that we shouldn't go to the Lord with it. Can you think of anything that would seem big to God? <laughs> so it's good that we go to him and we pray for our health and we pray for our finances and we pray for uh, you know, our struggles in life. But those are all temporary earthly needs. Are we asking for refreshment for our souls? Are, are you asking God to give you wisdom? Are you asking God to make you more like Jesus in your daily life? Are you asking God to convict you of sin and to help eradicate it from your life? Are you asking God to bring into your life people with whom you can share the gospel? Or are you only asking for your daily bread, the things you need for today? Because I think a lot of us, we do that. We say, let's work on our prayer list, and, and it's all physical needs. But do we ever say, God, I need your peace. God, I need your wisdom. God, I, I want to be more like Jesus, and I keep falling short. Help me to get to that next level with him. She says of Jesus, one greater than Jacob Eternal refreshment replaces temporary sustenance. The next thing that I notice is that she calls him a prophet. Relationship with God replaces religious monotony. Look at how quickly, I want you to watch, there's, and this segue is real fast that she has. As soon as she realizes he's a prophet, she immediately changes it from the personal to the religious. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to, here to draw the water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your own. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. <laughs> woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. You see what she did there? It got real personal real fast. Her life was all messed up. For whatever reason, she had five previous husbands and was now living with a guy to whom she was not married, and she's meeting a religious man at the well. And so she goes, oh, I see that you're a, a prophet. You're a scholar of religious things. You received divine messages from God. Tell me, where is the best place to worship? Is it here or is it over there? The location of worship wasn't where she needed to place her focus. She needed to focus on who she should worship. The Messiah was to come from the Jews, and everyone knew this. Jesus is that Messiah. Our confession of faith, our statement of faith of who Jesus is, is that he is the Christ, the Son of, of, of the living God. When we say, I believe that he is the Christ, we're saying, I believe that he is the promised Messiah that was promised throughout the Old Testament, and now he has come, and this is him. And Jesus says, salvation will come from the Jews, and... A time is coming and has now come, he says. He is the man. God is spirit. God is not bricks and mortar. 
And I'm so thankful for that. I, I've worshipped in six countries. I've worshipped in hospital rooms. I've worshipped at campgrounds. I've worshipped in college gymnasiums. And recently, I worshipped in a grove of cedar trees on the east side of 955 North 75 in Lebanon. God's not contained by any building anywhere. And the holiness and the sanctity of God is not in bricks and mortar. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our, our temple. He is our, our sanctuary. Some of the holiest encounters with God can happen in some of the most seemingly unlikely places. A jail cell. A nursing home. Around the bed of a dying loved one. With a group of men in the woods of Kentucky after a fourth musketeer extreme character challenge weekend. God is not contained by any city, on any mountain, or in any building, or in any room of any building. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Jesus is that new temple. And we worship him in spirit and in truth, not in locality. I'm glad that we treat our building as a tool to worship the one we should worship. Aren't you? I'm glad that we don't have sacred cows here at, at Dover. A lot of churches do. You know, I, I heard of a church one time, a, a guy moved a table that uh, an old uh, pulpit Bible, one of those great big Bibles was on, so that the congregation could see a baptism, and he got a youth pastor, and he, and he was let go because he moved that Bible so people could see the baptism. And I'm like, oh, hallelujah, you know, sacred cow. Well, we worship Jesus Christ and him alone. And we have all kinds of tools that can help us to remember him and reflect on what he did for us, but we dare not worship things. One final thing that she calls him, he's gone from a Jewish man to one greater than Jacob to a prophet, and now it is Messiah. Wholeness replaces brokenness. In John chapter 4, verses 25 through 26, it says, The woman said, Oh, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or what are you talking, why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar behind, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Jesus used the same words that God himself had used when he declared his identity to Moses in Exodus 3.14. I am he. Make no mistake about it, he says. I, the one who is speaking to you right now, I, I am he. I am that Christ. I am that Messiah. And he made that bold claim to her. And just at that moment... In God's sovereignty, as the disciples come back, she takes off running. Now, remember again, this woman's reputation is known by everyone. And she has got one messed up life, full of all kinds of dysfunction. But she runs to town yelling, come and see. I used to teach a, a class on, uh, on evangelism. And 
and uh, we identified six different evangelistic styles, and one of those is this come-and-see invitational method. And the woman at the well is the perfect example for it because she's telling everybody, come and see. She's experienced Jesus, and she can't imagine why anybody else wouldn't want to. Come and see a man who told me everything about my life he could not possibly have known about unless he was from God. And then she phrases her next statement as a question. I, I once heard a preacher make a, kind of a, a claim on that to say she, she knew that she couldn't just go running to town. I found the Messiah! <laughs> because people would roll their eyes and go, here she comes, you know. She says she found the Messiah, but you know how she is. You know, but instead she goes and she goes, could this be the Messiah? And they all take off running to the well to go see the man that she has encountered, who is a Jewish man, who is better than one like their forefather Jacob, who is certainly from God and could possibly be the Messiah. And they go to check it out. As we wrap up our time together, I'm simply going to use some of the remaining verses as my conclusion because I want you to see the result of what happened from her come and see approach. Verses 39 through 42 reads this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, Jesus' teaching, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Isn't that awesome? I get so excited about this story. I just love this story, that people came in droves out to him, and they believed in his words and they said we now believe we have heard it from him and we believe that he is the Christ the promised Messiah the Savior of the world none of us have perfect lives and as I've worked through this series I've thought well what if this doesn't relate to the average person who's sitting in our, our congregation what if they think oh I don't have a dysfunctional life good I'm glad you don't but don't think it's strange someday when troubles do come upon you as though something unnatural were happening because if you're not suffering right now, someday you'll have challenges down the road. Or if you're not suffering now, it's because you've already come through the storm. And maybe, just maybe, it's someone else's storm, someone else's dysfunction that God wants to use you to say, come and see. Come see a man who told me everything about myself. He would not possibly know unless he was of God, could this be the Christ? And you can tell them boldly your testimony, your story of how he has changed your life and how he can change theirs. And I pray that every seat in this place would be filled by people that we've invited to come and see what we have found. And we wouldn't just keep the lifeboat to ourselves and hog our salvation, but that we'd want to share it with everyone, not only because we want to, but because we are commanded to do so, to go and to make disciples of everyone, to say, come and see, because I'm excited about an awful lot of things in my life. I have a lot of likes on Facebook where I'll like construction workers and I'll like electricians and I'll like a, a restaurant and I'll like, and I want all my friends to know, hey, I had a great hamburger at this place and I like it and, and so forth I hope I'm telling them a whole lot more about how much I like Jesus Christ the Son of God our Messiah 
pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for allowing us to be here at Dover Christian Church today to worship you in truth and in spirit. Uh, God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, God, and the way in which he fills the lives of believers, followers of your son, that we might be able to shine for you. God, I pray for each heart here today. If there are people who are in the midst of a dysfunctional situation where life isn't functioning like it should be in marriage, in parenting, at work, and finances or whatever they're going through. God, I pray you would be their source of peace and that you would speak wisdom into their unique situations. God, I pray for all of us that we'd recognize our imperfection and that we would cherish the fact that you have chosen us. God, I pray for anyone in our audience today, God, who doesn't know your son in a saving relationship, that God, they'll quit putting that off and quit trying to play God, but God, they'll humbly submit to you and that they'll call on your son's name and that they will confess their faith in him and be baptized into him because you are the only way, your son is the only way into salvation. And God, we glorify you and we praise you in that. We pray this in Jesus' name.